0: We'd like to welcome everyone back to the NOVA Society, and today we'll be having a conversation with Dr. Priscilla Hobbs, a friend and colleague. She is the Senior Associate Dean at Southern New Hampshire University in the First Year Experience and Gen Ed Department. We're going to be talking about AI and its impact, the pros and cons on higher education and what it might mean to the new models of higher education going forward. So let's listen in. So so today you wanted to talk about Artificial intelligence in higher education. Yeah. Now it has pros and cons. Yep. Depending on who's using it. (laughs) Exactly. And how. And how it's being used.
1: And I think that's why it's worth talking about because, I don't know, I think the debate's the wrong question, personally. So
0: what do you think the right question is?
1: Because the whole reason it's a thing AI is the thing it is it is because it is a reflection of how we consume information. And so looking at it from the perspective of trying to generate information faster, it says a lot about a society that wants to con- consume information at high speeds. But the challenge with that is it also calls into question the value of original thought. Right. And you can't have it both ways.
0: The speed and there the originality. Are, yeah, there, there are programs out there. And I, th- you know, sometimes when you read a student and you, you read their their material throughout the entire term, you get to the final project and you look at it and you say, where was this skill the other seven assignments beforehand? Uh, this is not the way. I mean, it's almost like a fingerprint for students. This is not mm-hmm. the way I've seen you write.
1: No,
0: because, like I say, I'm reading a student's paper, and I th- I'm thinking this is the final project. This is a lot of points. This really depends whether or not mm-hmm. you pass or fail. This does not sound like anything. Doesn't sound like your discussion boards. Doesn't sound like any of the papers you've had. But there's no way for me to empirically prove
1: Mm-mm.
0: that this paper is—I well, would say plagiarized
1: you would be in the same boat if you if you know the the student paid somebody to write the paper correct you know so it's like whether it's contract cheating or whether it's using ai i mean it's still at the end of the day it's a shortcut okay so i guess going back to the beginning of the question right the beginning of the problem we have this really cool tool we've called it ai or chat gpt or something gpt whatever it has all these different names And it's a natural evolution of a lot of scientific progress towards automation. So this is a new layer of automation. But instead of automating things, we're automating ideas. So we're in a very new space and new territory. And the challenge with that is we're educators, right? And so, of course, our our entire industry and business is based on original thought, yet here we are being challenged with the possibility of students submitting work that isn't original thought, but in a new way that isn't original thought. It's new, it's computer generated as opposed to another person generated. So, it's taking us into like this new territory of trying to figure out, you know, well, what are, what are the ethics of academic honesty? The challenge that I think is happening with that is the technology is moving faster and being embraced as a force of positive change faster than the academy can keep up with. So, you know, corporate um, industries are like oh cool we can use this and look how it can make you know writing your emails faster and how much uh, we can get our reports out faster and he has again here that whole theme about um, the consumption of information faster and faster and faster and so uh, where i think this really started to become an important conversation was with the writer guild, writers guild strike,
0: right?
1: You know, and I think that's that's an important turning point because one of many things that they were asking for, and rightly so, um, was protections against AI, because the technology at the time of the strike was still, um, it was still in beta testing. It was still, you know, starting to creep into the hands of of people before it, like, really had its like as it started having its massive surge. And, um, you know, in order to generate the AI, they have to feed all of this information in there. And the writers were like, there's no reason for you to pay us if you can get the same thing from a computer. Not that it would be any good, mind you, but, you know, you could get the same thing from a computer. And I think that helped spark a lot of the questions that have gotten us to where we are today around the ethical uses of AI. Right. Um, you know, my favorite one is there's a number of authors who are suing the companies um, because they took their works and fed it into the system so that, um, you know, you could go in and say, you know, write an essay in the voice of so-and-so, but in order to be able to write in the voice of so-and-so, they had to get the source text. And so the authors are saying that that was actually a uh, copyright violation.
0: Okay.
1: I'll be curious to see how that makes its way through the courts. Um but I really think the question boils back down to, are this need to consume information? like why why is it suddenly becoming so incredibly important that we generate the information quickly if for no other reason than so we can consume it more quickly? And then why is it so important that we consume it more quickly when there's already too much information out there?
0: I guess my thought is is that in the in the education realm, We risk dumbing down the students. The more that's added to the algorithms, the more information, uh, as you say, you can't write in the voice of an author if you don't have a basis. The information is already there. The more information you put in, I would assume, not being a, a computer person, the more information you put in, the more works you put in. Like if you took all the works of Shakespeare and put them in, somebody could write in the voice of Shakespeare. Uh, theoretically, mm-hmm. my question is: Is does this dumb down the student? Does this help them lose their voice outside the realm of academia? Yes, it's a matter of convenience. It's a matter of efficiency. It's a matter of all that stuff. But in academia, when it's used by students, why do they use it? Mm-hmm. They use it to avoid having to do it themselves. Mm-hmm. It's sort of, as we were talking, it's sort of like, contra- you know, contracting out somebody to write your paper for you. Mm-hmm. That's the the true issue as far as academia that I see, is that you're going to be getting students. And, and one of my, my number one issues of, of academia is you're only as good as the integrity of the institution is. And that integrity not only has to do with you. So, if so if a, a professor ignores plagiarism, does not address it, that not only that, that what I would call dereliction of duty can cause the institution to lose its credibility. And if it loses its credibility, say in 2023. In the world, they look at their credibility being lost all the way back. So it also hurts every single other person that has a degree from, and I'll use university of Phoenix as an example, that one point in time, perfectly acceptable. Then they had Mm -hmm. that issue and then you couldn't get hired. Even if you got a degree from university of Phoenix, 10 years prior to the scandal Mm -hmm. and it's taken them this long to get. Back, there were professors, I mean, I was approached about teaching there, and I said, absolutely not, no, because you're hurting my integrity by, so, it does this AI cause that kind of issue? If students are using it, if we can't detect it, are we dumbing down the students and, and really jeopardizing the integrity of the institutions of higher education?
1: I see. F- I think it may depend on how you define dumbing down the students because by the time they get to higher education, they've already been through K-12. And K-12 has already set them up for a very particular type of education standard, depending on what generation they're coming out of. So they're already coming to us with a certain threshold. You go into higher education and the idea is not so much that higher education is going to be able to raise that threshold, but rather higher education is going to open your perspectives around what your little insulated version of yourself actually is. So what I see actually happening with AI is really the byproduct of like decades now of moving higher education into a consumerist energy, uh, industry right so it's like as soon as you made a social norm that expects students to have higher education degrees in order to do whatever in life they want to do you've now set the standard that people who historically would not have qualified for the university now has to be accepted. It's kind of the, uh, I guess, higher ed model of George W. Bush's "No Child Left Behind," right? And so, I wouldn't say that that's necessarily a dumbing down, but I think it's a change in the conversation from what higher education has spent the better part of a thousand years trying to become.
0: Uh, and I would, I would, okay, I would agree with that. Higher education has a different function than K through twelve. Higher education and i always tell my students i'm not here to tell you what to think Mm -hmm. i'm here to show you different ways of being able to think critical Mm -hmm. analytical thought that is my function Mm -hmm. um you should have all of the facts and figures already before you come to me and of course in in the courses that i teach it's mostly philosophical social and, and sociology and things like that so being able to get those different perspectives. If they're using AI to write their papers, is that not, and that's what I mean by dumbing down, is mm-hmm. that not defeating the, the entire idea of their own critical analytical thinking skills being developed?
1: Well, and that's where I think um, we're falling short of the tool. Like I could see a world where a student could write their rough draft in AI but then they need that space to learn that next step of how do you then edit that AI response? How do you change it into something that is your voice? How do you fact check it? You know, how do you spend the time to refine the message? And at least in the educational spaces that I run around in, there isn't time to teach that, you know, students have to get that outside on their own or have a dedicated space. And it's still such a new conversation. I don't know that we've even thought about what kind of space that needs to look like.
0: I would think that that's going to be a difficult conversation to have because AI is not living in a vacuum. It advances almost daily. Mm-hmm. The idea of keeping up, I can see a point in time where a student can say, I need to write a paper about uh, globalization as it relates to climate change and feed in a couple of just general things into it. AI is able to write it, and at the same time, AI is able to look at source material and actually create your your reference section with proper in-text citations from from, from APA, uh, mm-hmm. I could see that. I mean, I always, again, I always go back to students. I wish, uh, Microsoft back in the day when I had took my doctorate, uh, had that reference function. It's like mm-hmm. the neatest function in the world. Right. My, my, my th- the doctoral, uh, dissertation had 35 pages of, of references. I could have created that in using the new reference function in Word. I could have created that in like 30 seconds. What took mm-hmm. me three days to do, and it'll put it perfectly formatted, and, you know, your in-text citations are there. It is the greatest thing. Uh And it's same thing with, with the dictation software. Anything I ever write is, I use dictation software because I hate to type. Mm-hmm. The only thing I have to go back and edit is that we do not, write as we speak. There's, 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 there's a difference there. (laughs) So so you got to go back and take out the, okay, that's the way I talk, but we're going to make it so that.
1: I find also sometimes it can't pick up the words. Like if you have a particular way of pronouncing something based on regional dialect, it still can't pick it up accurately. So like when I use dictation, I'm watching it, you know, generate across the screen. I'm like, I did not say that. That's not even close. Uh but,
0: <laughs> but that, that was the beginning of all this, Priscilla. That's mm-hmm. where this all started. Mm-hmm. And it was it it was great. But we still had to we still had to write it. It mm-hmm. it had to come from our minds. The tools, the technology tools we had to help us make it more efficient had nothing to do with. The thought process had nothing to do with the critical and analytical thinking. And that to me is the greatest fear of AI in higher education. In some other industries and sectors, that might be a great thing. Mm -hmm. That might I had a a student this term that wrote an absolutely fabulous paper about AI, about, um, wars, which are Mm -hmm. these weapons that are fabulous paper, scary. When you're, when you're reading about it, it's kind of frightening, but I mean, I could see it be useful there. In higher education, I think it defeats the entire purpose in my mind.
1: Well, you know, kind of playing on the imagery of um, your dissertation citations list, right? Um, and this is how I kind of see AI working. So you have your, your list, you have your citations, you have your information and your content. But when you're going through that editorial phase, you still have to cross-reference everything. And you still have to make sure that you have your quotes are accurate, that you've put the right page number and all of those kinds of, of details. And that's where that's a particular type of editorial work that is. I think learned over the long process of graduate work in particular, um, not necessarily so much in the, um, undergraduate space, because in that space, they're trying to focus more on the, you know, the thought process. Mm-hmm. And then the, you know, graduate space. Now you're like refining the thought process, finding your, your voice, trying to decide what kind of doctorate you want to be when you grow up. And then writing essentially a book that you're going to prevent to a present to a small committee and say, look here, I did it. Um, you know, and I think when I look at like The doctoral level work um i could see a space where and this is this will be a very interesting conversation if it starts to happen is what happens when people start to write their dissertations with ai like it's one thing when it's it's an undergraduate paper like i think there's a lot of flaws to that experience for the student but it's still teachable but when you get to that point where you're at a dissertation is it then now like is that has the line been crossed? Like where, where would the line of acceptable use in education stand versus when is it absolutely verboten? And I think one of the, the challenges to that is if as a culture, we embrace AI in these sectors, then we are basically saying we give permission as a culture for AI to now be in education. Mm-hmm you know so if if you know it's one of those where like the the culture soup is going to drive the direction of the use of the tool and where do we draw that line because it's not going to be possible for any one professor to ever say don't do it because they're you know like you said you know a moment ago it's really hard to prove
0: yeah Yeah, it is. And I think the other issue you've got is, is that, yes, we can say, don't do it. We can say this is as far as we want it to go, but we don't control the developers because developers just always want to make it better. And I understand that it's, it's a, Mm -hmm. you know, an engineering thing, uh, to make things better. So it it would be very difficult to put the reins on to the developers, Mm -hmm. um, you know in the gaming industry i and i've had students write about you know MMROs or, or whatever they are and now there's bots that when mm-hmm. they go to bed they can actually get on and it'll play for them and get them whatever you know their groats or whatever it is that they get and it's it's like what's the purpose of that i mean it, yeah you're cheating. I mean, you're taking the entire purpose of playing the game and you've just turned it over. Well, yeah, but it makes the game easier because now I got all this money and I can tell you, know. uh, so when you're talking about, when you're talking about higher education, I think that the standard is different. And I mean, you known me now for what, seven years, I am huge on integrity of mm-hmm. education. I, it, it, to, that I, I see myself as, you know, Cerberus, it's at, at the gates of hell. Uh, my job, <laughs> thou shalt not pass. Uh, because. I'm and, just
1: having a moment imagining you with three heads.
0: With three heads or as Gandalf with a beard and the thing. Yeah. Uh, and a pointy, <laughs> the pointy hat thing. Oh yeah. Um, that's important. Yeah. That's very important. I I just. That truly. Uh, is, is. Hugely important to me. My issue is is that the next generation of educators who use AI, it may not be as important. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Hobbs and I will continue this conversation in the next episode. So that's all the time we have for today's episode. We'd like to thank our sponsors, the JCIS, an open journal for upcoming scholars. The JCIS is currently accepting article submissions on an ongoing basis. The JCIS is a publication of NovaWorks, a depository at Nova Southeastern University. The Phoenix Group, an independent research consortium, offering social issue solutions to NGOs and international government agencies through multidisciplinary, nonpartisan, and unbiased research. And finally, BH Conflict Resolution Services, a full-service dispute resolution firm, offering expert and cost-effective mediation services to couples, groups, and businesses. BHCRS can be reached at www.bhcrs.com. We'd also like to thank our podcast partners, Buzzsprout, who hosts the Nova Society, iHeartRadio, where people get their music and podcasts, Apple iTunes, the largest source for music and podcasts on the internet, Spotify, the most popular source for the Nova Society, The Nova Society is available on all these and other quality platforms mentioned in our description. And finally, Podkite, our analytical partners. We'd like to thank all of our listeners. Without you, the Nova Society would not be possible. If you have a comment, question, or would like to be a guest on the Nova Society, we can be reached at nova.society.podcast at gmail.com. Always remember, the power of society is knowledge. So for Dr. Scott Gershwer, Dr. Brooklyn Ann Weldon, and all of us here at the Nova Society, I'm Dr. Mark Bound. Be well, and we hope to see you again next time.